You are listening to What Do You Know, part of the 1830 Podcast Network. Find us easily by searching 1830 Podcast Network directly in the Apple Podcasts app, Google Podcasts app, or the Spotify app. Also visit us at facebook.com 1830podcastnetwork for more information. And now, what do you know? Hello, Mike here. Hi, thanks for answering the call. What do you know? Right, welcome. How you doing, Dana? Doing well, doing well. Uh, we're, this is how we do this. We're going to jump right in with your first question. I hope you're ready. I'm ready. Go ahead. All right. Can you share a testimony of your calling? I can. Do you want the Reader's Digest or the whole thing? Uh, it's up to you. The whole thing. The whole thing. The whole thing. All right. I Here can edit it for, for, for time constraints later. Okay. So, um, I suppose uh, I was baptized in 1991, and from that point on, uh, I was elected to be the Sunday school teacher. I never agreed to it, but they elected to me to do it anyway. Yeah, they do that, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they do that, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so we... We were about six to eight, sometimes ten of us that met for every Sunday uh, for Sunday school. It's probably the best thing for me because it, you know, it forced me to study and so on. Uh, then uh, from that point, we were meeting in homes, and then we started to meet in a rented schoolhouse. And uh, it got to the point where we started having—I wouldn't call it full scale reunions obviously because we weren't even a local yet but we used to have uh, a once a year thing or in october where we would have a almost like a you know a weekend thing where we invite those from other locals to come like a rally almost like a reunion but not a reunion yeah we call them rallies around here yeah rallies that's probably i just couldn't think of the word um but then uh, they got quite large and so um I approached the community of Christ, still the reorganized church back then. I, I approached the pastor saying, is your church, um, can we rent your church on special weekends? And uh, he agreed since they closed up on long weekends anyway. And so um, we had one of those services in May, I think it was the our, a May long weekend, where Jim Yates Jr., who was uh, practicing his his nursing or whatever in Michigan and Jimmy H senior, uh, they both came. And so we, we rented the church. We had a sacrament service. And as part of that sacrament service, Jim turned to me and, and, and said that he was told by the Lord a couple of weeks ago, I think as he was kneeling down in prayer to, um, to tell me to prepare, because I had a work to do. So he told, <clears throat> excuse me, he told me that and, that was in May of 2002, and uh, so I spent the next few months asking the Lord exactly what did you want me to prepare for, or where am I lacking, or whatever, and, and I continued to try and pull up my socks any way I could, and then we had another uh, service, um, part of that special weekend, that rally, I think in late September or early October, we had a sacrament service. And uh, Jim Yates was in charge of it, Jim Yates Jr. And uh, it's probably the, 
the most spiritual service I've ever been in, not just because I was called there, but just there was a lot going on. It just went from one thing to another. But anyways, to make a long story short, uh, Jim Yates Jr. was called to be an elder at that service. He was, just a, he was a priest at that time. And after the dust settled on that one, next thing I knew, uh, Ken Orr called me to be an elder. And basically, you know, caught my breath when at that service, Brandon Tarbell was told to prepare. And I, I suppose an indirect way, but he was definitely told that the Lord has something in mind for him. And so that was the service. And um, I had incredible witnesses. I had uh, members who had dreams the, the night before. And I had others who had wrote in their Book of Mormons that I was going to be called like years in advance. And um, I can't remember all the witnesses, but there was quite a few. And yet I, I felt that I still needed my own for some reason. And so after, after that calling, the next three weeks were probably the, probably the worst weeks of my life as I was trying to have the Lord just to give me my own witness to. And I kept praying and and fasting and, and, and doing whatever, and I wasn't getting an answer, and I was starting to get frustrated and starting to get concerned, and then the storm clouds rolled in, and it just got darker and darker, and I got more miserable. I got to be probably the worst person to hang around with. This went on for about three weeks, and I I was ready to leave on a on a trip. On a, I was taking a load into New York State. And I remember I was leaving the house and my wife was home. And just before I walked out the door, she goes, you need to do something. Because I was just, I was just intolerable, I think. And I looked at her and I said, you're right. I said, I'm not taking the call. And I walked out the door and I was convinced that without a witness, I wasn't going to do it. <clears throat> and um, so later that night, I'm driving in New York State. Um, Interstate 81, right near Watertown, New York. I can still remember. And my company cell phone rang, and I looked at it. There's only two people who have that number. That's my wife, in case there's an emergency, or obviously my employer. And so I answered the phone. I could barely hear. It was so noisy. But it was Jimmy H. Jr. I thought, well, how did he get his number? But anyways, he said, how are you doing? I said, well, not well. He goes, what's the problem? And I told him all the things that I told you. And he goes, well, he says, you're probably looking for something you already have. He says, you had a really strong calling with all kinds of witnesses. What else do you need? And I think right in that split second that he said that, uh, the burden was taken away from me. And, and we agreed to talk more the night, the night following since I was working. But, but I think at that exact moment, I was at peace with it, and I realized that I was going to accept it. And so on October the 26th, 2002, Hubert um, Yates and Jim Yates, they came up, uh, Jim Yates Sr. came up to uh, ordain me, and uh, I still remember Hubert Yates saying as part of his comments, you know, he said, well, he says, from this point on, goes, uh, Mike's life will change drastically. And I was sitting in the pew thinking, well, it can't be that much. I mean, I'm just going <laughs> to switch gears a little bit. But that was a true statement. I mean, um, my life just, just 
changed uh, 180 degrees from that point on. I mean, I didn't have any real aspirations to be in the ministry. I mean, I, I wanted to for the sake of our Sunday school class, that uh, so they would have somebody all the time. But other than that, I had no aspirations to preach anywhere, you know, in reunions or in conferences or go to Africa or, or any of those things. But uh, certainly the Lord uh, changed the direction of my life for the best. That's basically how it happened. I like how you stated after the dust settled, <laughs> right? And then, <laughs> and then uh, I I can I can relate to your story. I was a a driver too for a while. So we're talking to Mike Bavart, and and the the life on the road as a truck driver can be can be crazy sometimes. And from your from your experience. Right there, it, it almost uh, I, I can almost make a parallel on, on what what life is like as a as a going through the turmoil of, of accepting a call. I was going to yeah, ask you, yeah. what was the craziest thing you've seen out there on the roads? Well, I've seen a lot of crazy stuff. Some stuff I can't even mention, but I think the one besides what I just told you, I think I think one of the things that stands out was almost like a, a secular thing rather than a spiritual thing, but. I was driving through Michigan and uh, Interstate uh, 94 was backed up and obviously was some sort of a wreck or something. And so it was, it happened on the opposite side of the road that I was traveling. But what had happened was a flatbed truck with one of those large toolboxes that they carry underneath with all their chains and uh -huh. all their whatever for securement. Somehow, I don't know how, but it, it dropped off the truck, obviously, and slid off to the side of the road, and there was a police cruiser right on top of it. And everybody was looking at it, thinking, well, how could that happen? And uh, I remember passing by there, and I could see the, the police officer on the phone, probably calling his boss, trying to explain how he ended up on top, perfectly balanced on top of a, <laughs> uh, a utility box. So. <clears throat> But I've seen a lot of crazy things. I probably just can't remember them all. Yeah, yeah. I've seen. Uh, I've I've had a gun uh, brandished at me, and I've seen people back up on the interstate. Oh, I've seen that in Quebec. They do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're talking to Mike Bovart, and and I guess they have bad drivers in Quebec as well. They have really bad drivers in Quebec. <laughs> <laughs> They're so, different. So where do you attend church? Describe your church local, please. Well, we are, are we um, we continue to rent that that church I mentioned. I reorganized church for a few years, and we were seeking our own building. Um, we made offers uh, here and there for oh, um, I think the first two years or so after I was called, and we seemed to either. You know, we didn't like the place or our offers weren't accepted or somebody beat us out or or whatever the case may be. And then we finally got onto uh, a really good building and we thought was a really good location. And, you know, th this was a church. They were selling their building, but they wanted it to remain a church. and didn't want to sell it and have, uh, you know, uh, another kind of uh, enterprise going right. in there. And so they were, they were hopeful that we were going to get it. And, uh, and I talked to, 
I don't know, their powers to be, I don't know who it was of that organization. And he basically said, you know, it's yours. He says, but we have to just go through the process. In that process, I think they found out that we believed in the Book of Mormon. Hmm. And uh, the next thing we knew, uh, we were off the list. And they ended up uh, selling it to the Masons, actually. But that devastated our group. And I remember. So hold uh, hold on, I'm going to interrupt a little bit. The the yeah, Mormon sure. the Book of Mormon scared them away, and instead they decided to sell it to the Masons. Exactly. I'm, I'm incredulous. Yeah. So, so it 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 really affected our look. We really thought that we had it, and 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 there were tears like you wouldn't believe, and 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 um, so we settled down after that. We for some reason it hurt us so bad that we didn't even bother to look. And then uh, we had a real estate agent who we were dealing with calls and say, well, there's a building out in Teeterville that's for sale. And I, we all looked at each other and said, Teeterville, where's that? Never even heard of the place. And it's about 40 minutes away from Brantford, but we checked it out. Um, it's kind of a bit of further of a drive that we wanted, but it was affordable. We could pay cash for it. Uh, the United Church was selling it. And we had no problems getting that. So that's where we are still located to this day. It's out in a village called Peterville. And uh, that's our home. That's great. How many people are in your congregation? You said about 10. How many people attend on a Sunday? Well, right now it's probably sitting at around 12 or so. We were much higher before. We've had especially lately some members passed on the lord called them home we had right. a few move away and uh so on and so forth so we're meeting with about i'd say 12 right now okay are you ready for question number two sure how long or how much do you prepare for a typical sermon and how many sermons have you preached um well i i guess they made it at around 400 sermons which seems probably kind of high, but then again, I have to pretty well preach every week. Every week, I'm the yeah. only minister. Yeah. How much time do I prepare on a typical sermon? You know, that can really vary. It's probably the same answer you've received from others. But um, I probably tend to spend more time on sermons if they're outside of my local rather than inside my local. I, I don't preach long on purpose. I try to keep my sermons moving fast and and just to make my statement, say what I have to, and just get out of there. <laughs> so I, I think that what I tend to do is on Monday, on a Monday, if anything comes to my head, I start making notes. I mean, I don't work at it all the time, obviously, but... You know, with my job unloading asset and everything, you know, I have lots of time sometimes when I'm unloading to make notes and spend some time on it. So I'll make notes through the week. Then maybe Saturday night and Sunday morning, I'll, I'll, I'll put it all together. If I'm doing something like a, like a reunion or a conference, I'll spend a lot more time on it. I'm not, I'm not a man, believe it or not, that, that likes to, well, I shouldn't say that, shouldn't like. I don't use PowerPoint that much simply because I don't have the time to make it up. I do use PowerPoint. I know I use it at conference, at reunions, but as a, as a normal thing, I don't use it. I just get up there and speak. That's all right. Uh, 
The one thing I'll, I'll mention, though, because when you when you ask that question, you know, one of the advantages that I have, there's disadvantages, but there's some advantages to being the only minister in a local, and that means that you can you have a lot of leeway on on what the structure of the service will be. You know, I, I make it a point every Sunday morning that when we have our opening prayer, that the Spirit would lead us, you know, in all things. And I think nobody else is any different. But many times I'll, I'm also the Sunday school teacher as well. And if we're doing a, a Sunday school where I find that everybody's engaged and everybody's at the edge of their seat and everybody wants to contribute and there's just one question after another as we go on and it's time to preach. Many times I'll listen to the spirit and I'll forget the sermon. I'll put it in my back pocket and we'll just do two hours of Sunday school uh, and, then, and then just call it a day. I won't, I won't fight against the spirit. If, if you know, it, it, I realized with the Lord, he answered more questions than he preached, at least according to the scripture. And, and I feel that if there's something on somebody's mind and everybody's engaged, I won't break that to preach. I'll just go ahead and I'll continue. And I have that liberty being the only minister. So I like um, that. Yeah, that's, that's how I do it. I like that. You just roll with what's what's hot, right? I just, I just I like go that. with it. Yeah. In basketball, yeah. we feed the hot hand. And if you have something, yes. if you have something, somebody's in the zone, you keep going to them. You keep saying, keep shooting, keep shooting. So I like That's that. Right. Yeah. That's my analogy, yeah. but I, I, I can, I fully endorse what you just said for what it's yeah. worth. <laughs> uh, so next yeah. question, uh, what do your scriptures look like? Well, they've gone through changes. The first Bible I actually received. You know, once I got introduced to the gospel, I mean, I've always went to church all my life, but I never really I had my own Bible, but never really read it or anything. I didn't really open it. But I got my wife's grandfather's Bible was the first one that I got. And he had hardly any notes or anything in there. He had a few. It was a nice sized Bible, and I used that till I, I wore it out. I mean, it wasn't in great shape when I got it anyway. But I knew that I had to replace it, and I knew that uh, I wanted to start making notes that if people ask me questions, I could jump from Scripture to Scripture and not fumble and wonder and so on. So I got an, another Bible, and I began to you know, meticulously uh, mark Scriptures and, and color. I use pencil frames to color uh, so they don't bleed through. And, right. I had color coordinations for stuff from Book of Mormon to to that Bible. But the more that I used that Bible and the more that I looked at the study notes, I thought, I don't I, I don't particularly like this Bible. I mean, if anybody would have opened this, they'd probably think that I believe in these study notes, and some of them were just terrible. It was a moody Bible. It was uh, King James, but the, the study notes were just terrible. And I thought, I'm, I'm going to have to ditch this. I don't want to carry it around anymore. So I got another one and I started to transfer everything over and I still haven't finished. I'm to be quite honest, I, I barely got started. And then it's gone through another change now, one that I don't know if I like or not, but my Bible and my Book of Mormon are starting to look like an iPad. And uh, <laughs> so I don't have that. I don't have that liberty anymore to make all those notes and everything. So, 
Um, it wasn't my intent to use an iPad, but when I went to Africa, it's a handy thing when you're preaching over there because you don't have enough room for your book sometimes and, and you're outdoors and all this kind of stuff. But So that's the way it's looking now. It was really marked up, but lately it's becoming less marked up, which really isn't a good thing. That's all right. I, I endorse the iPad too. It's much faster at finding the scriptures than I am. I think so. Yeah, I'm really enjoying the experience, to tell you the truth. And, it, you know, when I take my missionary trips out to Nova Scotia or into New Brunswick and so on and so forth, it's so much better than carrying two heavy books. You know, you just carry a little iPad and everything can stuff everything in a backpack and off you go. Right, right. Okay, we're coming to the meat of this uh, podcast. Can you share with us 10 of your favorite scriptures, your your all-time greats, your your whatever's exciting to you now, any any way, shape, or form, can you share with us ten of your verses? Okay, well, I think that I think that the the my my most favorite one is probably John twenty one twelve, and this is of course after you know Christ had risen off the cross and started to uh, make sure he witnessed himself to his disciples and so on. But it's where he says, and Jesus saith unto them, and this is, of course, his disciples, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord. That's probably my favorite because, you know, when, when I'm asked, or my wife and I are asked to go anywhere, if somebody invites us over for a meal or for dinner or whatever, I find it a, a a really neat thing that somebody took the time and the trouble and wants us to come over for a meal, and, and I, I think it's a token of of acceptance and a token token of love. And here we have our Lord who who had just suffered and died upon the cross. I mean, what what more could he have done? I mean, he could have walked away and said, "I did all that I could for for mankind," and yet. Even though he didn't require to eat or anything, he took the time out to to prepare a meal and invite his disciples to come and dine. And I think he's inviting. There's always that invitation. He's always inviting us to come and dine with him. It never stops. You know he's got something prepared for us. Um, and I think it just speaks of the of the love that 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 Christ has for us and. Those, those few words, come and dine, ring, you know, really loudly in my mind. And that's, that's why I've chosen that one as my very, very top scripture. Moving on, I think um, I've chosen another one is Genesis 1-1. And I think everybody pretty well knows it off by heart. But in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You know, this one, it gives me peace. It's peace that... That I, that I don't struggle in any way, shape, or form with creation or the account given in all of Genesis. That that I don't have to consider anything else other than the words that, that are presented in that first verse. And the thing that strikes me more than anything is God does not justify himself here. He doesn't plead with us to believe it, and, and he just states who he is and, you know, and what he's done, and it's up to us to accept it. I mean, that's what we're here for, is to accept those words, you know. And and recently at work, there was a discussion around this whole COVID-19, and I was talking to some of the guys, and they were saying, well, I think it, 
what's going on here is it's the Earth's way of regulating herself. We are overpopulated. And he, and he said, well, that's just my theory. And I told him, I said, I don't need a theory like you guys do. I said, and I quoted Genesis 1-1, and I said, that's all I need. God's in control of his creation, the Earth. The Earth is not in control of herself. And, uh, you know, the, the world and her theories will go on and on and on. Uh, but if you listen to who believes in those things, they're never at peace with them. And there are always changing them where Genesis 1-1 will always remain the same. And that is what gives me peace. My third one, Daniel, is Jacob in the fifth chapter, starting at verse 45. And it says, and I, Jacob, saw that I must soon go down to my grave. Wherefore, I said unto my son, Enos, take these plates. I told him the things which my brother Nephi had commanded me, and he promised obedience unto the command. And I make an end of my writing upon these plates, which have, uh, which writing has been small. And to the reader, I bid farewell, hoping that many of my brethren may read my words, brethren, adieu. This is a scripture that I, I read more than I needed to. You know what? I wanted to focus in on is is the is the first part of the 45th verse where it says, "And I, Jacob, saw that I must soon go down to my grave." It's not that I have a desire to end my life here on earth and, and get to heaven and, and finish things off. I don't have any wishes for that at all. But what it is, and I realize it's my perception perception of that particular scripture. But I perceive that when Jacob says that, it's of absolutely no concern that he's about to die and to go to his grave. And he doesn't worry about it. It's almost like he's just stating, well, you know, I'm going shopping or I'm going off to work or I'm going on vacation. It's just like he casually says, guess what? I, I, you know, I'm soon going to go down to my grave. Where I, you know, I, I have some concerns, to be quite honest. I, I have some apprehensions. I... I don't know if I could casually accept if I knew that I was going to go down soon to my grave. I've got work to do. I don't think that my socks are pulled up all the way. And yet when I read this, you know, and every time I read it, I, I have to be honest here. When I get to uh, the portion where it says, and I must soon go down to my grave, and I know it's mentioned other times in the Book of Mormon, almost a similar wording, but I have to stop reading and I have to, contemplate on those very words sometimes for hours i cannot read on i must stop i must consider what they have just said what they're about to do and then i have to realize that yeah you know one day i'm going to be in that position and i and i realize that if my perception is correct that they're not too worried about it at all it's because i think that they have they're fully alive in christ embedding themselves. They have fully given their life to Christ, and, and, and their life means absolutely nothing, but, uh, but their life uh, for Christ means absolutely everything, and if it's their time to go, if it's their time to die, then so be it. They're fine with it, and off they go. And it's just that, that shortfall between them, or with Jacob here, and myself, uh, that causes me to visit it often and contemplate it often. And um, it's probably a, 
a scripture that um, that I dwell on way more than 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 even I don't know most other scriptures I suppose. That's why we're asking you. That's why. That's why I want to know what your favorites are. That's I love your take on that, uh, especially at a time when we're discussing mortality rates with COVID nineteen. Um, we're 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 putting numbers on it, and so and so to hear this verse from you at this time, it it's fitting. It's it really is fitting. I appreciate your your insight there. Thank you. Uh, another one of my favorites is Second Nephi fifteen fifteen through eighteen. Kind of along the same lines, but but the meaning is different for me. And it reads as follows, And I pray the Father in the name of Christ that many of us, if not all, may be saved in, in his kingdom at that great and last day. And now, my beloved brethren, all they which are of the house of Israel, all speak unto you as the voice of one crying from the dust, farewell until that great day shall come. And you that will not partake of the goodness of God, and respect the words of the Jews, and also my words, and the word shall, which shall proceed out of the mouth of the Lamb of God, behold, I bid you an everlasting farewell, for these words shall condemn you at the last day. For what I seal on earth shall be brought against you at the judgment bar, and thus has the Lord commanded me, and I must obey. Amen. Now this one here is, is once again a reality check that this is what we're here for, according to me, is it defines our life and our purpose here in the in the flesh is to either partake of the goodness of God or not. And the consequences and the reward are, are right there in just a few verses. And so when I read that, it reminds me we're here to make a choice and we must continue to make the right choice. And there is only two choices. And based on the one you get, you know, that's the reward that you will receive. So it's, it's blunt, and it's to the point, but uh, it hits me right between the eyes, and um, that's what it's all about. I have um, John 17, 15 through 26 is another one that I wanted to bring up. And, uh, of course, this is Christ in, in red letters. This is just prior to him going to the cross. But it says, and I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy truth is word. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for those alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. They may all be as one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. You know, this one here I like because, I mean, what a time to be with the Lord. I mean, obviously it was a good time and a bad time. I mean, they got some of the best words he ever spoke, at least recorded in the scripture. Um, and, and they were obviously so close to the Lord and, and so on, and, and they heard that. Then, of course, things kind of went south from there. But, I mean, there was only a, a handful of God's 
children, just a handful of those 11 disciples, you know, I have to say 11, that got to, to, to be there. And yet, you know, when I read these scriptures and it says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe me through their word. And that's us. And that's me. And I take comfort in that. And I realized that even though we weren't there, the Lord included us. And it's so true that, that we can have that same blessing that he described there, not just for his disciples, but for everyone. We just believe on that word. So when I read that, I realized that at that moment when, when Jesus was up, to, up against the wall and he knew what was about to come down, and yet he thought of us, he thought of his disciples, it wasn't about necessarily him. Uh, and it just makes me feel closer to the Lord in that. And then, yes, he went to the cross for everyone. The next one, Daniel, I won't read. I'll just tell you what scriptures. Okay. Um, and it's Third Nephi in the fifth chapter, 1 through 16. Of course, that's when, you know, he made his first appearance there on this land. You know, my, my notes for that is, is that the first time I read it, I, I I felt the words were jumping right out of the book and that I, I could almost visualize and see and be a part of when he did appear. And if any, if any part of scripture is responsible for me to fully believe in the Book of Mormon, to fully believe and their promises of God and the love of God and the love of Christ and so on and so forth, it would have to be those first 16 verses in that chapter. There is no other scripture that I know of that has drew me closer to Christ himself than those. And I don't know what else I can add to that. I read them often. I never get tired of reading them. And, and that effect is still still there when I read it. It just draws me closer to the Lord. First Nephi, first chapter, 61 to 63. It says, For behold, Laban had the record of the Jews, and also a genealogy of my forefathers, and they are engraven upon the plates of brass. Wherefore the Lord hath commanded me that thou and thy brothers should go unto the house of Laban and seek the records and bring them down hither into the wilderness. And now behold my brothers behold thy brothers murmur, saying it is a hard thing which I have required of them. I have not required it of them, but it is a commandment of the Lord. Now this uh, this scripture here is a recent favor of mine. It's really jumped out at me, and I'm starting to use it and a sermon here and a sermon there. You know, so often, and I get it at work, because they all know about, you know, my church life and everything, but so often I'm asked, you know, why does your church do that? And why does your church do this? And and, and why doesn't your church allow this? And why do you travel so far to reunions? And and why do you give money to the church? And on and on and on the, the, the questions go. And, and they... And they they always end up saying, you know, I would never want to belong to their church. But, you know, what I tell them is, is, is simply that all those things that you have said are, are, are not required by my church necessarily. They're required by God. God has required them, not my church. If you want me to prove it, 
just go to your scriptures and start reading and find out what God does require. Because anything that we do has not been under our own design. It was designed by God and it's required by him. And he has a purpose for it and a purpose for us to do it. And you can read it for yourself. And I find that, that when I, I, I go back and forth with, with certain people on that, that when I say that, they kind of back off it because I don't know how you get around it. Uh, that's what the scriptures say. The Lord has required it. It's not my church. It's not me. Not my minister. It, it's it. The Lord has required the things that I must do, and so uh, that's why it's one of my favorites. There, Mormon in the fourth chapter, verses eighty through eighty-two, and there were many mighty miracles wrought by the hands of the apostles. And if they were miracles wrought, then why has then why have God ceased to be a God of miracles? and yet be an unchangeable being. And behold, as said unto you, he changeth not. If so, he would cease to be God, and he, and he ceases not to be God, uh, and is a God of miracles. You know, there was a, a time a few years ago that I was reading this scripture, and it became a source of a question that I had about God. Actually, it was two questions. And, you know, it's a long experience. I can't, believe me, I can't do it now. But what I can tell you is I realized as a person, as a believer in, 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 in God and, and so on and so forth, that, that God would not change. But to me, I thought, well, it's fine that God would not change. But, you know, why... Why wouldn't God change? I mean, if he wanted to change, why couldn't he? He's God. He can do anything he wants. Right. So I realized that he wouldn't. But as I read read these scriptures, I kind of got the fact that, you know, that maybe he couldn't. Maybe he couldn't change. And that, you know, that God changing in any way, shape, or form just doesn't work. So my first question was, why couldn't he change if he wanted to? Because he's God. And the second question was, why would he cease to be God if he did change? And so I, you know, we've discussed already, Daniel, I'm a driver. Back then, I was working nights, and I had a lot of time of, uh, as I worked through the night, thinking about this question and, and approaching God and just trying to dwell and to get the answers. And what happened was, over a period of, I'd say, about three weeks or so, as I would think about it as I drove, the Lord would start to answer those questions as I thought about it. But he never took me directly to the answer. He had me go here. He had me go there. Before I um, I knew it, I was talking more. I was, I was not talking. I was being taught more and explained by the Lord more about eternity and what was everlasting life and what was everlasting damnation. He provided for me a key, which I, I could use to help me uh, figure out many questions that pertain in that area. But I, he kept on, as, as I would begin to think about it one night, he would review kind of like where we were. And he'd take me to the next step, and then he would back off, let me dwell upon that. And then finally, after all this cascade of information and 
uh, it never came out all at once. It came spread over three or four weeks, whatever it was. And then finally, I got my last question answered, and it made perfect sense. You know, one thing I want to say is it doesn't mean that I have special information because I don't think I do. But what I'm what I'm trying to say here is God took the time to teach me what I didn't know, to fill me in and to take me beyond what I even asked. And and that's why that scripture is special to me, because he took the time and the trouble to teach me those things which I wanted to know and made me understand him and the gospel and all things, you know, uh, included uh, a bit more clearly. That was a great teaser for the next conversation I have with you next time you come to reunion. And I'm going to want to know the answer. <laughs> but I understand the verse is not about the answer. It's about how God taught you or how it spoke to you yeah, or and, brought and you that's my to point. the conclusion. And I appreciate that. But but like I yeah. said, now I'm, I'm dying to know the answer. But we'll get to that some other time. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, another one I had, Daniel, is 3rd Nephi in the 13th chapter, 38 to 40. This is, of course, about the, the three Nephites. And it says, Behold, I was about to write the names of those who were never to taste of death. But the Lord forbade. Therefore, therefore, I wrote them not, for they are hid from the world. But behold, I have seen them, and they have ministered unto me. And behold, they will be among the Gentiles, and the Gentiles knoweth them not. And they will also be among the Jews, and the Jews shall know them not. This is one of my favorite scriptures because I had an experience. I didn't say testimony. I'm going to say experience. But I had an experience that began, began about 15 years before I joined the church. And that experience ended about 14 years later. Now, it wasn't continuous, but... All I can really say to you now is I had an experience, and if, if you have the time, I'll tell you it, but it, uh, it, it, uh, when, um, when I was first being taught the gospel by Hubert Yates, he read those scriptures, and when he read them, it brought the experience to full, to full light. So I'm always willing to share things like that, might be a bit lengthy I'll, I'll let you decide on that one you know what let's let's all, let's take some time if you have time why don't we put that down you want me to do it yes i do you want me to give the experience i mean yes I i'd like it in this podcast if it's okay okay here we go so without my notes that doesn't matter i've, I've got a clear picture of it all but uh it all goes back when I was 16 years of age, and I was not a poster child for my parents. My dad and I did not get along. It would be um, a true statement to say he wasn't an easy, long, an easy man to get along with. Mind you, I was probably the worst of the two. And I was a terrible uh, teenager and always getting into trouble. And the, the, the trouble was just multiplied and multiplied, and then one day, I got into more trouble, and I knew that before he came home from work, I'd either better take off, and I mean actually leave, and just ride off in the sunset or face really bad consequences. So what I did is I 
at around three o'clock in the afternoon one day when when uh, I was cornered on this thing that I had did. I jumped on my 10-speed bike with my T-shirt and my jeans and I think $7 in my wallet, and I rode off in the sunset, sunset vowing never to come back. I was never, ever going to come back. And so my travels took me all all over the all over Ontario, certain places, you know, and, it, and I think three or four weeks into this running away from home, if you want to call it that, um, I, I have always had a, a great interest in aviation. I love airplanes and anything to do with them. And so I, I, I ended up in Toronto airport and I would be watching the planes during the day, but I didn't have any money. And, and I got really skillful at what I used to call the five finger discount or stealing stuff to eat and just to survive. And I was in Terminal 1 in Toronto, and I also smoked at the time. And back then, cigarettes were readily available in front of the counter rather than behind the counter. And it was quite easy at, at stealing them because I used to smoke. And that's how I, I ate a lot of times is I, I just stole whatever I needed. And I was in Terminal 1, and I walked into, a, like, a variety-type store, you know, that you would find in any airport terminal. And I successfully took three packages of cigarettes. And as a safety thing, I thought, I'm going to take the shuttle to Terminal 2 in case anybody see me, you know, and they were looking out for me, and that way I'd be out of sight. So I jumped on the Terminal 2. And I was sitting in Terminal 2, and back then, of course, you could smoke in airports. There's ashtrays all over the place. And it was a big, huge open terminal where you could see clear across the other side, which was a long way off. But I thought, oh, this is great. And now I get to sit down and relax and, and, and enjoy a cigarette. I hadn't had one for a while. And so I did that. I, I unpackaged them, and I put one in my mouth, and I lit it. I started to smoke, and then way off on the other side of the terminal, for some reason, I noticed a man starting to walk towards me. And I could tell that he was in, you know, it was a, a big expanse of, 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 of space between us, and yet I could tell he was walking right for me. And I thought, well, what's he doing? And I could tell you how he was dressed. He was dressed like any young, younger man would have been during that day. He had blue jeans on. I can't remember what he had for a shirt, but it was casual. I would say his hair was close to shoulder length, and he had a beard, and he was wearing sandals. And he kept walking right towards me. And I thought, uh-oh, maybe, maybe I've been spotted. Maybe somebody's seen me take these cigarettes. But I just froze, and I walked in, and he came right up to me, and he started talking to me. I can't say I remember all the conversation that we had, but he asked me how I'm doing and what I'm doing here. And, you know, and I would answer his question, and, and I would just lie. And I didn't want anybody to know that I ran away from home or, or, or to give anything away, whatever. And, I, and he asked me questions in my life, and he asked me other questions, and I all kinds of answers that were just absolute lies, and some of them were terrible lies. And while I was doing it, I knew that he knew I was lying, and he knew that I was lying. There was no question. 
But there was something about this man that just gave me the utmost respect for him, so much so that even though um, I never knew who he was, I would never dare, I would never dare, it would even cross my mind to take a drag of my cigarette in front of him. I have so much respect, you know, almost might not be the, the proper word, but reverence for this man. And, and, and the cigarette burned down, it burned down, he continued to talk to me, and actually burnt my finger. No, but there was no way that I was going to take a cigarette, a drag of my cigarette. But he kept, he kept talking to me, and finally he says, "Well, he goes, I, I guess I'll go." And he and he started to walk away, and he turned around and he said, "Oh, by the way," he said, "In case you didn't know, uh, smoking is bad for you." And I knew at that point that I knew he knew I, I stole the cigarette. There's no question. And he walked away and I was shaken up and, and I got up and, and I just walked away. I, I couldn't get out of there fast enough. Not that he made me uncomfortable, but I was uncomfortable with myself. And, and I think that that whole experience, you know, it, it, it probably stayed with me for two or three days, maybe even longer. I can't remember, but finally, um, you know, it, it, it just became part of, just you know it's gone from my memory not my memory but i didn't think about it anymore and i didn't and then when i was sitting in my mother-in-law's living room you know i think uh 14 years later mary um with my wife hubert yates and jim yates are sitting in there and they're you know they're preaching the gospel and hubert yates is telling us about these three nephites and he read it, he says, And behold, I have seen them, and they have ministered unto me, and behold, they will be among the Gentiles, and the Gentiles knoweth them not. As soon as he read that, my mind involuntarily went a thousand miles an hour backwards in, in my life. My life just went from that point, and it went screaming back. And it went so fast, that yet I knew that my life was going backwards, and it hit, and it hit a screeching halt right where I had that cigarette in my hand and I was looking at his hand. And I was, wow. You know, and I can't tell you that that was a neat fight. I, I can't tell you that one of the three, but I can experience that I had, that I had. And when it says, and the Gentiles knoweth and not, I suppose I'm not supposed to know. I don't know if it was. I'm not supposed to know. And now, you know, when that first happened, I never thought about it after a while. And now, ever since that point, I think about it often, and I enjoy the experience. So that's that's uh, that's my testimony on why I like that scripture. That's an amazing story. Uh, I shouldn't uh, say story, uh, experience. Yeah, and you know, if anybody says, well, it's a testimony, no, I can't say it's a testimony. I can only say, because nobody has said that that was the fight. I can just tell the experience. And like I say, I think about it often, and I enjoy going there in my mind. And I think I have one left, Daniel. Okay. And with all my um, great preparation here, I forgot to mark down where the scripture is. But I'll just read it, and maybe <laughs> maybe somebody sharper than I am, and they can pick out where it is. But I'll find it um, for you. I'll put it in there. Okay. It starts at verse 6. I know that much. It says, We are of God, 
He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know, and, and the reason that I, I really love this scripture is, once again, those few words, for God is love. And, you know, it's been asked all through the centuries. It's been asked by almost everybody who's been alive at one point or another, what is love? And the answer is right there. The answer is God. That's what, that's what love is. What I mean is that, that God defines love and love defines God. They're, they're, they're both in the same thing. They're, 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 they're each other. God is the perfect description of love. And the, the, the perfect description of love is God. They are one in the same. I think that the perception of many who are alive today, you know, especially in, in this, in this uh, dispensation of time when it seems to be that less and less are believing in God, and they have this impression that if, if God was around, he'd be some mean old white-haired man sitting on top of a mountain with a stick, you know, ready to, to hit us when we do something wrong. Right. But like I've told my congregation many times before, everything that God has done, is doing, or will do, is for one thing and one thing only whether it's the parting of the Red Sea to the swallowing of Jonah, it's to save his children whom he loves beyond our comprehension. We can't comprehend it, but everything he does is for one purpose. He wants to save his children. So that's how I decipher that scripture. uh, scripture. So that's, I don't know if that's 10 or not, Daniel. I think it is, but that's, that's what I had set aside for that. No, that, thank you so much. I believe that's John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4. If not, yeah, I'll go back I, I and fix it. <laughs> pretty sure it was in John, but I didn't want to embarrass myself, so I just <laughs> left it blank. Okay. Uh, so thank you for your time, and uh, I can't can't say thank you enough. Uh, that was Mike Bavart. Well, goodbye, and, and, and before I go, Daniel, I'm glad you asked me to do this, and I'll tell you why. You know, I didn't know that this podcast even existed and and being a driver i listen to podcasts and i have a lot of secular ones on aviation and so on but i've been searching for one of a spiritual nature where where i could you know i have a podcast where there's some spiritual enrichment and so on and so forth and i couldn't find when i tried some and i just couldn't find anything out there that that i liked and then when you asked me i thought well i didn't even know this podcast existed so now I know of it, and I can download it, and I can listen to it, and I'm really enjoying it. So uh, so thank you, and yeah, farewell to everybody, and I hope to see you sometime real soon. Oh, absolutely, and and I would recommend, make sure you listen to the one with Uncle Brian where he finds stationery for the letter he just wrote. Okay. 
Okay, that one's that one's gonna stick with me for the rest of my life. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. <laughs> okay, take care. All right, this is What Do You Know with Mike Bavart. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For my yoke is easy. Burden is light. Come unto 